millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. I think as a society, we undervalue tapestries as a form of artwork. And in so doing, we turn the Tudor way of seeing art entirely on its head. Consider that the Abraham tapestries, now at Hampton Court, cost around £2,000, when Hans Holbein, as court painter, had a salary of £30 a year. Tapestries not only brought warmth and colour to a room, but they were magnificent demonstrations of artistic skill and of moral messages. Tapestries were woven from scratch. The whole piece of the fabric, including the design, was made using coloured threads wound on bobbins, that's the weft, interweaved with plain threads stretching in a perpendicular direction, the warp. An artist drew a cartoon or a sketch on linen or paper, which was then cut into strips and placed beneath the warp threads of a loom, and weavers transformed the design into a tapestry. So this is very different from embroidery on existing fabric, and the final product depended both on the artistic expertise of the designer and on the weaver. And the subject also often depended on the person commissioning the tapestry. Which is why the recent opportunity to acquire a tapestry that was commissioned by Henry VIII and is indeed one of the finest examples of royal tapestries from the early 16th century has caught my attention. Today I'm speaking to Sutherland Forsyth, Associate Director of Heritage and Engagement at the Auckland Project, and Claire Barron, Head of Exhibitions at the Auckland Project, who are spearheading a campaign to try and save this precious, glorious tapestry for the nation. Welcome both of you to Not Just the Tudors. I'm delighted to have an opportunity to talk about this exciting possibility. 
and this glorious tapestry. Before we get into that, let's do a little bit of background information. Claire, can you tell me what the Auckland project is and about the new museum you've just opened? We're based in Bishop Auckland, which is up in County Durham, and we are a charity that runs a number of visitor attractions within the town in Bishop Auckland, with the ultimate aim really of providing a catalyst for regeneration, so heritage-led regeneration. And the most recent new museum to open is the Faith Museum, which is on the site of Auckland Castle, the historic home of the Bishops of Durham. There's been a bishop sort of working on the site since about the year 1000. But the museum itself is devoted to exploring how faith has shaped the course of our nation's history, how it's affected lives and communities across Britain. And I know you're in the process of building your collections, but you do already have some pretty special items. I mean, I was particularly drawn to the Tyndale New Testament, given the year of its publication as well. How rare is that? What's it like? Yes, there are very few copies of the Tyndale translation of the New Testament that survive. I think there's just a handful left in this country. So we were delighted to be able to acquire it for the Faith Museum. And it's such a crucial object in understanding the Reformation and quite what a dramatic effect that had on everyday life and on people's lives in this country. The fact that it was banned by the authorities, it was seen as very dangerous for people to be able to read the Bible in their own native language. And as a result, in fact, one of the bishops who later became Bishop of Durham, Bishop Tunstall, was responsible for publicly burning copies of Tyndale's New Testament outside St. Paul's Cathedral. So it's a very pivotal moment in forming our Church of England and the society that we live in today. And this one is from 1536, the year that Tyndale himself was executed for producing this. So it could not be more important. But that burning of the books has an important connection to this tapestry. Sutherland, you're part of this organisation spearheading this campaign to save a vitally important Tudor tapestry for the nation. Can you describe it for us, first of all? Well, the tapestry itself is vast. It's 18 feet wide by 11 feet high, made of silk, wool, gold thread and silver thread. And it's the most incredibly complex scene that you see in front of you. There are about 34 different individuals all spread throughout this dramatic scene depicting St. Paul directing the burning of the heathen books. And for Henry VIII, this in many ways was sending so many different messages in the centre of St. Paul with his hands stretching towards this massive plume of smoke coming up from a big pyre of books all up in flames. And these are books that the people of Ephesus are burning. And they're books of magic and sorcery. And it's the people of the city casting aside their old views and their old ideas, and they're embracing the new faith. And for Henry, this was incredible because this was created and commissioned in mid 1530s. Around 1535 is when he commissioned Peter Kuka van Alst to design this tapestry for him. And it was part of a series of nine of the life of St. Paul. And in many ways, it was Henry VIII sending a message to say, I am now Supreme Head of the Church of England and sending the sort of message that there had been a long history in England of looking to St. Paul. And so almost saying the Pope may look to St. Peter, but in England, there's a long history of connection with St. Paul. And the sense that actually for Henry and many of the people who would have seen this tapestry when it went on display in Hampton Court in around 1539, 
they would have had the book burnings of the Tyndale New Testament and the many other things that were going on at that time very much in their minds. And to them, this is sending the other message that Henry is following in a biblical tradition in terms of trying to suppress ideas that are regarded as heretical. And so within this scene, you have the people of the city gathering around and throwing their books onto the pyre. And for people today, of course, it has lots of additional contemporary relevance. And just as a work of art in its own right, this tapestry is absolutely exquisite. It is an utterly glorious tapestry. So if anyone listening wants to see it, you have a Just Giving page, which we'll come back to. But you can go to that and you can look at the tapestry as a whole and then close-ups of the details. And it is such sort of vivid colours. And so the skill here is both in the design by Van Elsa and the amazing craftsmanship of the weavers, isn't it? Absolutely. And what's so interesting is that the design itself is incredibly dynamic. So it almost appears as if the books are tumbling out of the tapestry itself. And in fact, originally there was a border that went all the way around the edge of the tapestry and it had little putty, little cherubs around the edge. And in the original border, it looked as if they were fleeing as the books were tumbling down out of the tapestry. And the smoke coming up from the books is astonishing because it's almost got a sort of translucent effect whereby you can see buildings through the smoke. It really is in many ways the pinnacle of sort of 16th century weaving and the art of the weaver. And of course, as we all are so familiar today, we're familiar with seeing wonderful paintings and wonderful sculptures. But of course, in the 16th century, it was tapestry that was really the pinnacle of art. And this was really right up there with the very best. And in it, we see so much activity going on, but also the colour palette was deliberately quite subtle so that the gold and silver threads would really stand out. So you have this scene full of action and full of life, but then you would have seen the glistening of the silver and gold, which would have actually made it almost have the sense of being almost animated when you looked at it. So it really is quite extraordinary. I love that. And the fact that the silver and gold are not that tarnished is unusual after 500 years as well. If you compare to the spectacular Abraham tapestries at Hampton Court Palace, one of the things we do have to say about them is that the gold and silver thread is tarnished. And so this is extraordinary, really. Absolutely. And the fact that these are even older than the Abraham tapestries as well. This series was commissioned by Henry, commissioned in 1535, delivered 1539. And yet this is the only one of that series of nine that actually survives. And the fact that it is still in such good condition really does make us think to ourselves, there's so much more research we need to do into this because this is just the tip of the iceberg of what we know about it and what we could learn from it. Not just in terms of the stories and the context and the history of it, but actually more about its production and where it has been over these years. I'll come back to that because it's intriguing. But one more thing about the content is I'm struck by its iconographic importance because we have our sense of Henry VIII depicting himself once he's been declared supreme head of the Church of England in 1534 as Abraham, as in the tapestries at Hampton Court, as David, as in his Psalter. And those sort of Old Testament figures come up again and again. But here he's comparing himself to St Paul. 
So it gives us a fascinating addition to our idea, both of Henry's faith and of his sort of grandiosity, I suppose. And what's particularly interesting is that he specifically wanted this scene. This Life of St. Paul series had been designed by Peter Kukavanaz years before. In fact, Francis I of France also had a series of it. And what is interesting is that Henry said, well, Francis has got seven of these. I'm going to have nine. And so he added an extra two scenes. One, the stoning of St. Stephen, and the other, St. Paul directing the burning of the heathen books. And so Henry wanted this scene. He wanted to send a message with it. And he wanted everyone who walked through Hampton Court and the other places that it would later be hung to get that message straight away. And that is what is so fascinating about this. Exactly as you say, here he is before some of those other tapestries and before some of the other biblical figures with whom he wanted to be connected, he is linking himself to St. Paul. And there's an irony also in the fact that here you have the Tyndale New Testament in your collections. We hope that you have this tapestry. And yet this is Henry proclaiming who he is and what he stands for. I mean, the Tyndale's execution is on his orders. But then we get this great vault fast where he has the Bible put in English and put in every parish church in the country. And so it speaks to the confusion of the 1530s. You know, what is going on in religious terms? It must have been, I think it was Thomas Betteridge who said, it must have had a nightmarish quality to live through as you try to work out what's the direction of travel in terms of what you're supposed to believe at this time. Yes, certainly. It does speak to the kind of chaos and confusion. And in the Faith Museum, we do try to explore what that meant for normal people in a very rural parish, just how you could comprehend and live out the constant changing of laws and of religious practice over the course of the Reformation. And particularly as well with this depiction of destruction, the kind of resonance as well with iconoclasm, with the changes to the church interiors, and indeed the whole fabric of the sort of landscape of Britain changing as religious foundations were demolished, churches stripped of all of their rich decoration, that it also represents the kind of visual changes that people would have seen during the 1530s and beyond. In the area just surrounding the Tyndale Bible, there is the medieval Morton Frontal, this astonishing sort of survivor from pre-Reformation and then through to smashed stained glass. It's this mixture of objects, some things that have survived in secret and then some things that have been cast aside and people putting things away so that when religious ideas change again, they can bring them back out. But those sorts of different objects are putting it into that wider context. Yes, yeah, so within the faith museum and the display is particularly focused on the 16th century and the impact of the reformation we have another of objects that sort of provide context so be that stained glass and some of the lead from Revo abbey which melted and crumpled during the dissolution of the monasteries or alabaster carvings which have had the face of the virgin mary hacked off these sort of very physical reminders of the tumultuous changes of the reformation Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's so interesting that this tapestry predates the dissolution of the monasteries, which begins a year after it's commissioned. And it predates the iconoclastic violence of Edward's reign that you've just been mentioning there and the sort of smashing up of statues just as much as the abbeys had been dissolved. And it introduces this element of violence into our understanding of the Henrician Reformation in a way that I think the public perhaps don't see it like that. They see it in a kind of triumphant way where it's the declaration of the Church of England and we have a later idea of the moderation of the Church of England, which comes from Elizabeth's reign. But actually, in the 1530s, it's all to play for and some of it is potentially quite violent against people and things. Yes, certainly. And another object that we have in the museum is a very small roundel, so a miniature portrait of Thomas More towards the end of his life. And... The bearing in mind the conversations that between Tyndale and Moore that they had very publicly or in public forums and printed pamphlets that actually how far these men were willing to go for their faith and ultimately paid the final sacrifice. It adds a very personal dimension to the violence. Absolutely. That Moore dies in the year that this tapestry is commissioned is quite something. Talking about things that were hidden, though... This tapestry was hidden for quite a while, wasn't it? Is it right that for about 200 years, no one knew where it was or thought it had been destroyed? Absolutely. I mean, this is the fascinating thing about it. The last time it was recorded in the Royal Collection was in the 1770s at Windsor Castle. And then the story goes cold. And then it somehow reappears in Spain in the 1970s. And it's only been in the last decade that it's been actually properly identified as being the lost tapestry of Henry VIII. And so it's had this period of about 200 years where it has been clearly floating around the place and quite where we still do not know. It's a big mystery. How did it end up leaving the Royal Collection? How did it end up going over to Spain? 
there are so many fascinating stories. And in many ways, that's the sort of additional angle for this tapestry is that it's a mystery that we still want to try to uncover more of to better understand who was interested in these sorts of objects. How did they maybe fall out of favour? How did they come back into fashion at different points? But it's incredible, really, to think that it has had this long history and perhaps the very fact that it maybe had disappeared is one of the reasons maybe why it survived. But then on the other hand, the other eight have gone missing. We don't know where they are, so maybe they haven't had such a good fate. So we just don't know. And it's one of the exciting things. How was it identified as being Henry VIII's? So one of the things that has been known for a long time is that obviously it existed. And Henry later had other copies of it made. So he had a second set of this Life of St. Paul series made, but he did it on the cheap. He just had them done in wool and silk. He said, hold the gold and silver thread. We'll go on a cheaper one this time. So he clearly liked it that much that he wanted two sets. So people knew what it looked like, but they knew there was one that had existed with this gold and silver thread. And it was when this was going through some research work and it was during various process where it had been sold and then conservation work was being undertaken. The people looking up close at it were saying, hang on, this is very old. This has all this gold. This has all this silver. And to cut a long story short, Thomas Campbell, in many ways, the doyen of Tudor tapestries, said this is the holy grail of Tudor tapestry. He has studied these tapestries for decades. And he said, finally, this is it. This is the missing tapestry that people have been wondering where it has gone. And yes, the other eight in that series may also be missing, but this has somehow survived. And over the last year, it has been put on display in a special exhibition in the United States in the Metropolitan Museum of New York, as well as also traveling to Cleveland and San Francisco. And that's been its only time sort of being seen as Henry VIII's lost tapestry. And so therefore now we're wanting to say, well, hang on, this should actually be coming back to Britain and this should be going on permanent display here for everybody to enjoy. And so it's been wonderful that world experts in tapestries at some of these international museums have looked up close at this and have said, yes, this is just as good as we hoped it would be. And they put it on display and now we're saying, let's have it back home and let's put it on display for everyone. Okay, Claire, so why should it be bought for the nation? And were you to pull it off, why should it be in Auckland? I think it's such a remarkable story, both of its survival, but of the insight it gives us into the events of the Reformation, almost into Henry's mind at the time. And I think that's why it should be safe for the nation in terms of its artistic value and its significance to our national story, but also why it should come to Bishop Auckland in terms of the context that we can place that within the Faith Museum, unpick the story of the Reformation, and particularly during Henry's reign. And also to reflect the Tudor heritage of the site of Auckland Castle as well. I mentioned Bishop Tunstall, who lived at Auckland Castle, but also other great Tudor statesmen who both built the castle, added to the castle, and in fact the Faith Museum is partly housed within the Tudor Long Gallery. So we'd really like to celebrate the Tudor heritage in the northeast as well and place it really on the map. Yes, let's not forget Thomas Wolsey among the Prince Bishops of Durham. You know, we can even blame him for all these things. Perhaps, I don't know, it's a bit unfair. So tell me about the campaign. Where is it? What do you hope to achieve? What's the deadline by which you hope to achieve it? We've got until March to raise the money. 
we've got to raise just over four million pounds in order to save this tapestry. The tapestry itself costs about 3.2 million, plus then there's about 900,000 pounds in terms of export taxes and duties that go on top of that. It is currently in Spain, it's privately owned, and if we do not buy it, it will be sold privately in Spain. There's currently an export ban on it, preventing it from leaving Spain permanently. But the Spanish government have been unbelievably generous and have said that if a suitable British institution can be found that can demonstrate historical connections, that can show that it can put it in the right context, that has the right environmental conditions and the right space, as well as public support and can raise the money, then they will look to lift that ban, which is astonishingly generous of them because they recognise that this matters so much to British history and arguably more than, say, to Spanish history. And therefore, we've got until March to raise this money. We're doing a two-strand approach in how we're raising the funds. One of them is a public fundraiser. We're trying to raise a million pounds from donations from the public. And that could be anything from sort of three pounds, five pounds, 10 pounds, all the way through to trusts and foundations who've generously given donations. For example, the Art Fund have generously donated £200,000 towards that, which is wonderful. We're currently at about £680,000 on our public fundraiser, and genuinely, every pound, every penny counts towards it. Because one of the things that's so crucial for us is this cannot simply be about a few people sitting in an office saying, oh, isn't that lovely? Wouldn't that be nice to have? This has to involve the public. If this is being saved for the nation, we need the nation to come together behind it. And we're also putting in a bid to the National Lottery Heritage Fund for the remaining amount of money to buy the tapestry. Because one of the things that's so crucial for us is we don't just want to have it as a wonderful, beautiful thing to look at on a wall. We want to develop a huge, extensive program of activities that can run alongside it so that we can engage so many school groups so that we can bring in community groups who might never normally think about darkening the door of the museum so that we can put on expert research projects and do study days and so that we're able to actually really bring the history to life not just of the tapestry but to use this to shine a spotlight on the Tudor North as a whole because so many really significant events and people are connected with the North of England in the Tudor era and yet so often it gets less attention than so many of the astonishing events that happened in the South. And we are thinking, well, actually, let's bring this national treasure to the North. Bishop Auckland is almost exactly in the centre of Britain, so it's got great links to everywhere. And the wonderful thing is the public support has been so positive. We're conscious that in a time like this where everybody's belts are tightening and where people don't have as much money in their pockets, not everyone can afford to be able to donate to a campaign like this. And so one of the things that we've said is that if you cannot give money, you can give your voice. And we started doing a public books of support where people could simply sign their name and say they back it. And within the first three days of going out to local events, we had over one and a half thousand people had signed up to express their support, people living in our local community. And every time we talk to people about this tapestry, what has struck us is how passionate people are. And it might sound awful to say, but tapestries often are the unsung stars of the art world. And so often people walk through them in a historic building or in a museum and they think, oh, that's a 
something that looks a bit brown hanging on a wall, and it's very easy to dismiss them. And yet, when you actually engage people with the stories, they're blown away. And there's a real sense of people that it would be a genuine national shame that something as important to our history could end up being lost when it is within our grasp. And that is what this campaign has been about. It's been saying, this is about trying to raise the money, but it's also about trying to raise awareness and get people back in the campaign, sharing it on social media, spreading the word so that more and more people can discover this astonishing tapestry. And I think we should make clear then that if this isn't pulled off, if enough money isn't raised, if people don't put their voice to this, then you said it would be sold privately in Spain. So there's every chance it would go to some lovely grand house where the public never has a chance to see it again. It becomes lost again, essentially. It disappears from public view. Exactly. And the other thing is we cannot then guarantee its conservation. One of the things that we are so keen on, in fact, as we speak to you right this minute, our conservators are currently over in Spain inspecting the tapestry, literally as we speak. We want to ensure that this is here for generations to come. And we're putting everything in place that we can to make sure that it is going in exactly the right place. And that is one of the reasons why this is so important. We have just six months to save it for the nation. It is a symbol of Henry VIII becoming supreme head of the Church of England. It is a symbol of his thinking at one of the most crucial points of his reign. It is a political message. It's a religious message. It's the pinnacle of achievement in tapestry design and weaving of the 16th century, and it is an astonishing survivor. And what is so remarkable is its contemporary relevance today in a world where when you turn on social media and people burning flags or people doing cancelling if they disagree with something, suddenly seeing an 18 foot wide, 11 foot high picture of people burning things doesn't just seem like something from 500 years ago or 2000 years ago. It's from five days ago or two days ago. This is something that is relevant now and it is hugely significant in terms of our national story. So folks, you've got your starting orders. We are looking for your voices raised in support, your social media raised in support and your pockets emptied if you have something in them in order to contribute towards this. Look up Saving Henry VIII's Tapestry and there's a just giving page and as you hear every penny counts. Thank you so much for coming on to Not Just the Judas and telling us about the museum, this campaign and this amazing tapestry. And thanks to you for listening to Not Just the Tudors from History Hit and also to my researcher, Esther Arnott, and my producer, Rob Weinberg. We're always eager to hear from you, so do drop us a line at notjustthetudors at historyhit.com or on X, formerly known as Twitter, at notjusttudors. And please remember to rate, rank, bestow multiple stars, and comment on this podcast wherever you listen, including on Spotify. It really helps more people find Not Just the Tudors. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps to Detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. History is full of extraordinary people, the Tudors being just a handful. In my latest film on History Hit, we meet Bess of Hardwick and go inside the incredible house that she built, a house that defines the elegance and grandeur of the Elizabethan age, a house fit for a woman who climbed to the top of the Tudor social ladder. To find out more about the life of Bess and many more fascinating figures from the past, sign up via the link in the description with the code TUDORS for an exclusive discount.